Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, I am joined by Joe Walton, who is an author and a professor of supply chain management at the University of Kansas. Joe, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? And because uh, you've got quite a lot of extensive experience in supply chain management and leadership. So we'd love to hear about it. Okay. Well, I did uh, 26 years in the Army. My goal was to go in and do three years in the Army and get out uh, and make big bucks in the real world. And I had a degree that had no value whatsoever. Uh, and I started doing supply chain stuff in the Army and realized I really enjoyed what I was doing. So my three years turned into be 26 years, wide variety of things in, in the Army, from, everything from running a small 200,000 square foot warehouse to designing the distribution center, about a 4.2 million square foot distribution center and the distribution system to support Operations Iraqi Freedom. Uh, was in charge of a organization of about 2000 employees, about a billion dollar a year in budget. Retired from the Army, did a little consulting work uh, that put me on the road a lot more. I really want to be on the road. So I took a job working for, for the government doing training development for supply chain units that were going to deploy into Afghanistan and Iraq, teach them what they were going to see based upon my experiences. And then about uh, 10 years ago, the opportunity became available to teach at University of Kansas. So I've been doing that for the past 10 years. So, I mean, it's a varied experience, you know, leading a supply chain under pressure where life and death is literally at stake in supply chain to working in supply chain commercially. How, how do you think the two differ from each other? You know, that's probably the question I get asked the most because they really do the same thing. I mean, it's, we, we did procurement in the military. We did uh, distribution, we did transportation, we did storage. Even had uh, in one organization, a, a, automotive engine rebuild facilities. We did some manufacturing. It's the same basic functions. We just have different names for it. So the biggest challenge for folks when they're leaving the military is trying to take their military experience and put it into commercial language and learning a, a whole new dictionary of terms for what they used to do. But it's the same function. It's, it's taking care of the customer. It's finding out what the customer needs and getting it to them as soon as possible. I guess so. And I know that... Um this is an area that you're really passionate about, which is leadership. You know, what did the army teach you about being a good leader? You know, I, I was lucky because I had, I had some really, really good bosses. And the first thing that my good bosses taught me was don't be afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. If you make a mistake, let's learn from it and move on. Mm -hmm. Just don't make the same mistake twice. So I became over my careers, I've become a master of making mistakes I could fill volumes and libraries of mistakes by Joe, but they're all new ones. I became a master making new mistakes. Yeah. But the other thing is that, that, and I had a couple of really good bosses. In fact, I talked to one of them just yesterday. We stayed in touch. One of the things that they really taught me was it's about the people. It's about taking care of the people and making sure that you know what the people need. You're taking care of their needs. And in the army, it's a little different because in the commercial world, we don't really care about the families. We're just worried about the job, getting the job done. You go home and, that's it. In the military, though, we have to take care of the families because we're, we're moving the soldiers all over the world. We got to make sure the family's taken care of as well. So one of the things they taught me, I think I've tried to carry on to my, my civilian careers is concern for the family as well to make sure that 
what's going on at home is not impacting what's happening at the job. And what's happening at the job is not impacting what's happening at home. Find that, that, that true balance. People love talking about the balance between your personal and professional life. And it, it looks great on a PowerPoint slide. It sounds great in presentations, but it takes concerned leaders to make sure that it really happens. And Joe, there's never been a more important time than this. I mean, before, because you made a really good point here. In the army, you had to think about the families in corporate world. We don't do that because we're just wanting to get the job done. But hello, here comes COVID. And we're now entering into people's living rooms, into people's, you know, dining tables and kids running around and, you know, multiple things happening. And we see their family in the background. It's affecting their family. Don't you think, I mean, I'm sure you would say this, but I think that the time is now to think about this kind of motivation for families in the corporate world. This is a, a new world that we live in. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the lessons that you know, brought from my military experiences to the commercial world, I think has helped make that transition so much better and the, and the maintenance and keeping the, the folks, I think it has to employ retention. Mm. If we don't think about the employee and wh what are we doing at work that impacts the home life What's happening at home that impacts uh, the work life? I mean, I had a I had a, a soldier working for me that uh, went from being like the best worker that I've ever had to over course of a couple months to being in deep trouble. And when we sat down and talked to him. There were some issues happening at home that were impacting his work life. Yeah, we we're able to work through those, and all of a sudden, boom! It's like turn on a switch. And he's back to being the greatest worker we had. So it, it's it, it's really it takes the leaders to be involved in the lives of their people. And as you said, I think COVID has kind of emphasized that. Because prior to that, everybody went to work and they came home and that was pretty much it. Now, work is, is home for a lot of folks. Yeah, there was this clear distinction between work and home in the corporate world, right? Which you didn't have in the army because like you say, you had to think about people's families. Now that those lines are blurred and I don't think it's going to get any better or any, we're not going to go back to the same normal, are we? Uh, there's going to be flexible working. So clearly this is a consideration that's here to stay. Well, you know, in the, in the past too, is you had, depending on where you lived, I mean, somewhere between 15 minutes to an hour, or if you lived in LA, two hours to commute time that you could mm -hmm. sit in your car and you kind of decompress on the way home from work. Mm -hmm. Now you've got five steps between your office and your your living room and there's no decompression time. I think it may be one of the issues, one of the things reason we're seeing so many issues happening right now around the world yeah. because we've lost that, that decompression time and we've lost that ability to separate work from everyday life. Yeah. It's all, it's all amalgamated into one. Um, you know, in, in 2009, you published the, the book Modeling and Benchmarking Supply Chain Leadership, Setting the Conditions for Excellence, which provides a leadership framework for eradicating what you call motivational dysfunction. It's a lowered motivation caused by a lack of excitement. Now, when I talk to other supply chain leaders, although leadership is a topic that, um, you know, pretty much almost always comes up, uh, the motivation aspect never really um, uh, has been unpicked, you know, never really has been looked at in detail. What causes motivational dysfunction and what are the implications of it? I think the biggest cause is lack of involvement, lack of engagement from senior managers, senior leaders. Hmm. I mean, and you see this, you see it in all workplaces. You see folks standing around, spending more time standing around the, the coffee pot in the break room than, than working. 
I had one guy that I used to work with that spent more time surfing the web than he did doing his job. And he couldn't figure out why he never got promoted. Uh, it's one of the things I did when I was in the military and I tried to carry on into my uh, civilian careers is getting out of the office, doing the work. What, 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 are the, what are the conditions they're working under? A lot of folks, when you sit in corporate headquarters, you sit in a nice, fancy corner office with the air conditioning and you got all the amenities right there. You don't realize that when something happens in the environment, it impacts the workforce. So I, I, mean, I thought nothing in the military of putting on a set of coveralls, crawling underneath vehicles and helping the soldiers turn wrenches to see what the impacts were. I thought nothing of getting on a forklift and loading, unloading trucks. So when, for example, in, in Kuwait, when we had a, a uh, dust storm go through and it went from visibility for miles to visibility down to feet, now I had to take half my forklift drivers and make them ground guides so we're not running into each other. Our productivity went in got in half instantly by being there on the ground, seeing what was going on when the boss said, hey, how come you only loaded 100 trucks today and you did 200 yesterday? Well, you can show some pictures. Here's what happened. It was an hour away from where you were, but here's what happened. Here's what the impacts were. So I think motivation dysfunction comes from leaders not really caring. They're not engaged. They're more concerned about what's happening in the corporate headquarters. I had disconnected. A, a disconnected. Yeah, I had a mentor that, uh, in fact, is I actually started uh, getting to talk to him because his son was working for me, that became the vice president of Sears. And one of the things that he did when he was the vice president of Sears was he made every one of his people working for him in the, in the headquarters at least once a quarter, had to go work in a distribution center, had to go work in a, a store or work in a warehouse so he could see what the implications were of what they were deciding at corporate headquarters on the people. But sometimes things look really great when you're sitting there at corporate headquarters. You go, "This, oh, this is a good idea." In fact, let me give you an example. When I was when I was in the, at the Army's National Training Center, we were doing something. I said, "You know, wait a minute, stop! That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What idiot came up with that idea?" And my deputy starts flipping through his paperwork, and he goes, "Um, well, it says right here that the author of this policy was Joe Walton." Like, oh, I know that idiot. I can fix that. There's things that look good when you're writing doctrine and policy don't always work so well at the ground. So you got to get out of the office and talk to the workers. So the workers know who you are. So you understand what the workers are doing. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing it that way? Because you said do it that way. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's what we thought too, but you said do it, so we're doing it. You've got to be engaged with the workers. One of the things that I used to do is I go to a new job was sit down at every single worker that, that reported to me and talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, here's, here's what you can expect of me. Here's what I expect of you. So when it came time for annual performance appraisal, there were no surprises. And that always, I tried to take time to sit down with folks who worked for them since I was, you know, the Army can call it a senior rater. I think in the civilian world, we call it the approver of the, of the, annual appraisal. So they knew what I expected of them and what I expected of their bosses so that they knew they understood this flow of information. And I had what I called an open door policy. So if they had something wrong, they could come see me and say, hey, so what look, you're talking about is communication. What you're talking about is communication is, is exactly is, is clear communication with people. Now, you know, it's, it's funny. I was I was recording a podcast prior to yours 
And we were talking about sustainability and we're talking about why sustainability fails, why transformation fails. And um, it all came down to one thing, motivating your employees to, to get on board with the message, the corporate message and the corporate goals. So I was, I was actually, it sounds logical, right? But how many leaders actually care about motivating their employees to align them with their corporate goals? You know, I think part of that is driven by, by Wall Street. Hmm. Folks at the upper levels of, at the C-suites, at, at the senior management levels of organizations are concerned about the monthly profit report, the quarterly profit report, the annual report. And they, they, lose, they lose, I think, focus of the fact that we get to focus on the people. And I think one of the things in the supply chain world is we've gotten so focused for the last decade or so on automation mm-hmm. and different automation systems to run the supply chains, we forgot that we have to have people to do the work. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've lost that ability to, to communicate with them. I mean, I think leaders provide purpose, direction, and motivation. Unfortunately, sometimes we provide motivation in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. We demotivate them because we don't treat them right. But it, it goes back to setting expectations, communicating expectations, and then talking to the workers so they, they know who you are and they can relate to what you're, where you're coming from. So let's talk a little bit about the pandemic because you, you, you just said, you know, you need to go out there and meet people. I mean, that's kind of difficult these days, obviously, depending on where you live, right? But uh, travel is restricted, um, especially travel abroad is restricted. And equally, I think maybe in the new normal that we're going to be coming into, it's uh, people are talking about more sustainable business models, which means probably less travel. How does the uh, future leader, you know, in this disruptive age, implement um, better motivation skills or um, to drive uh, motivation within their businesses and their teams? Well, I mean, I think the two we're on right now, Zoom provides a great way to talk to somebody one-on-one. I may not be able to travel to your location and see you, but, but the beauty is, regardless of where you're at, I can, I can link up with you and, and at least, you know, 15 years ago, the only way we could talk to somebody was call them on the phone. 20 years ago, when we talked to them, it was call them on a landline phone. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, we had FaceTime. So when I traveled, I could communicate with my family via FaceTime. Now we can do it via FaceTime with the employees, via Zoom, through Microsoft Teams, whatever medium we want to use. The, if I can't get out there and see you physically in person, I can still reach out to you and say, hey, let's have a little discussion. Here, here's, here's what I see going on. Why is this happening? Well, here, here's the, and here's where the, the rub always comes. We want to put a new program in place because nobody likes change. Mm-hmm. So now I've got to convince you why this, I prefer to call it improvement. Why this improvement is going to benefit you. And if I can't do it one-on-one in person, I can at least do it one-on-one via this, this medium here or through any other medium. So I'm still talking to you. So we're having a conversation just as we are right now, even if it's not, I mean, we can be continents apart as we are right now and still be able to talk to you one-on-one. So I think the, the beauty of all the automation that's come out lately is we can still communicate with our workers, whether I can travel to see you or not. Do you know what I, what I hear is, and I think, I think you're absolutely right when you say this, it's not about location, is it? It's about investment in time. 
um, that's really what what people want. They want to have to believe that people are listening to them. The leaders are listening to them. Leaders are uh, taking the time to have a chat, to care, to um, you know understand, to empathize. Is that is, is that's how I'm reading it? I mean, it's not about like you say, it's not about getting on a plane or getting in a car. It's literally it's just about time. You know, it, it's the old cliche, which I, I think is more than just a cliche, is that you know people don't care how much you know, they know how much you care. And whether you're doing it in person, doing it on the phone, people want to feel appreciated. I mean, a simple pat on the back goes a long way. Hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you. People just want to hear that. And unfortunately, I think in business too often, we get caught up in trying to find people doing something wrong as opposed to recognize for doing something right. You know, one of the things we did in the military, I thought it was a great program, was we had what we call a commander's coin. I think I got one here somewhere on my The commander's coin, it's, it's about the size of a silver dollar. I'm just going to show you. There we go. Yeah. About the size of an old silver dollar. It has no commercial value whatsoever. But we gave these things out, people doing something right. And then it became like a, a game. Oh, how'd you get the coin? Well, you know, I was just, I was under the vehicle turning wrenches. The boss crawled underneath and told me, asked what I was doing. I told him what I was doing. And he told me I was doing a good job and gave me a coin. Nick became a game. How many people can catch me doing something right? How many coins can I collect from different people who caught me doing something right? Now, all of a sudden, the attitude across the entire organization is, I want to get caught doing something right. And the level of quality goes up. Just a simple pat on the back and a little inexpensive coin saying, hey, you did a good job. And I think I mean, what people really want is to feel appreciated, whether it's through and listen to, pat on the back. And, and, and listen to, like you said, yeah. you know, you know, like you, like you said just now, where, you know, who made that decision up there somewhere in corporate, not really even understanding what it happens on the shop floor, what happens, you know, you hear all these amazing stories of someone in corporate making a decision and the guy that drives the forklift knows that's not going to work. You know, sometimes the guy, the guy or gal on the ground uh, will know before corporate whether or not something's going to work. And it's, you know, that's what I did as a consultant. I tell my students all the time. I got paid good money as a consultant to go out and talk to other people's employees and say, what's working, what's not working. I'd write it down. I put it in a PowerPoint slide because you know, if it's in a slide, it's gotta be the gospel. I put it in a slide and say, this is what you're doing. This is what works better. And they're like, wow, that's, that's genius. Nope. What's genius is you're paying me good money to talk to your employees. If you got out of the office and did it yourself, you wouldn't need a consultant. So, I mean, you know, one of the things we do is, as I said, talk to a lot of supply chain leaders about why things fail. And it's one of my bugbears. One of the things that I hate is this obsession that everybody has with technology, with hype around, uh, you know, machine learning, AI. Uh, and, and I don't want to take anything away from because there's a lot of really exciting things happening there. But sometimes technology gets layered onto faulty processes and bad management. Uh, or bad leadership styles. Do, do you see examples of that? At Absolutely. And like I said earlier, I think sometimes we get too wrapped around technology, forget about the people. And we develop, we turn this over to technology developers and say, here's, here's what I want to do. And they develop systems that are more complicated than some of our workers can, comp can, can understand. Hmm. And, I, and I saw that firsthand as a consultant, we, we put a new system in place in, in one distribution center 
went back six months later as a follow-up and I'm like, oh, how's the system working? Well, it's, it's not, it's not working for us. What's wrong with it? It's just not working. As I kept asking the question, turns out that the new center manager didn't understand the technology and what he could do for him. So he just took all the, the RFID readers we had and all the barcode readers we had and put them on the shelf. Went back to the old manual way of doing business because he didn't understand the benefits of the new system. When we walked him through and said, look, here's what it does. Here's where it's going to save you time. Here's, and here's the flow. Oh, well, nobody explained it to him when I came on board because the system was more complicated, he thought, than his understanding of it was. So he quit using it. And I think it happens all too often. We develop these great systems that corporate says, this is going to work. And the developer says, this is going to work. And then the workers go, um, I can't make it work. I don't understand how to make it work. And we lose focus of the people themselves. And that's, I think that's the, the foundation of every business has got to be the people. Well, then the, the situation that you just described, then you have adoption issues with the technology, then the money that's been spent on technology means that you need to bring in consultants to tell you why it's failing. And before you know it, a project that was going to cost you X costs X plus. Uh, and takes up a lot of time and doesn't give you the kind of value that you were looking for. Um, what's, what is a, I mean, you're also a, a lecturer. You're, you're also there at university. You're teaching the next generation of supply chain leaders. What does a good leader look like to you? And um, what, what, what is the next, the future generation of leadership looking like? I think the future is bright. We got some really smart kids coming along. Um, I wish I was that smart when I was in college. Um, there's some really, really good, good, smart uh, young kids coming along. I think the, the first qualities I look for in, in a leader, and it's interesting, I, I give a, a lecture, the last lecture I give of the, of the semester is my thoughts on leadership and success in life. And what I try to get through to them is the most important things they've got to have is, is honesty, integrity, and ethics. I, I can teach pretty much anybody how to do anything in the supply chain world. I mean, it's really not that complicated. I can show you the right and wrong ways of being a leader. I mean, you got to experience it for yourself to really do it. But what I try to get through to them is if, if people can't trust you, if you don't have ethics, integrity, and honesty, they can't trust you. I don't care how smart you are. You can be the most qualified person for the job, but if I can't trust you, I'm not going to hire you. Conversely, if I can trust you, I can teach you how to do the job. The other things I think are, are critical from a leadership perspective is, is passion for what you're doing. Mm. And, and it, some of the parents don't like it when I give, give uh, introductory lectures to prospective students and their, their parents. The best paying job may not be the job that you really enjoy. And I don't care how smart you are. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, you're not going to be successful. And that attitude, because you're not passionate about it, is going to infiltrate through your entire organization. So they got to be passionate about what they're doing. But I think the most important thing is they got to be passionate about taking care of people. It's not about their own personal careers. And I try to get that too to my students. It's not about your career. If you take care of the people working for you, your career is going to be successful. That's going to be kind of a, a correlated benefit of taking care of the folks that are working for you. My, my greatest uh, pride when I was in the Army was seeing the folks working for me get promoted and moved up to, to better jobs. 
Mm. So it's like, well, what happens if they get promoted past you? That's great. That means I taught them something they could use. Mm. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's it's a bad mark if somebody working for you gets promoted past you, because that means that you obviously trained them right and taught them right, and they learned the right lessons to move forward. So again, it's, it's a passion for taking care of people and it's a passion for taking care of the customers that I think are critical to any successful leader. So can we look a little bit about um, at the future, if we can move towards um, what's coming in the next 12 to 18 months, what advice do you have for supply chain leaders to weather, you know, the age of disruption that we're in, the era of disruption? Uh, the first piece of advice is get out of the office. Mm-hmm. The only way we can fix any any problem is to get out of the office and walk the process and figure out what's going on. What where's the bottleneck? Where's the constraint? What's what's slowing things down? What's keeping us from being as successful as we could be? And I think we're seeing that in the in the shipping market right now. You know, the, the push for the last five, six, seven years has been we need bigger, bigger ships. Well, somebody think about the fact that bigger, bigger ships take longer to offload. And we're seeing the, the backlog at the ports at LA and Long Beach, and that kind of moved up to, to Oakland. So people started going around the West Coast to the Panama Canal. We got to back up going to the canal. Now we got to back up on the East Coast. Uh, we got the big ship ever given, get stuck in the Suez Canal, Suez, causing, yeah. causing all kinds of, which made it the best part of the year to actually teach logistics and supply chain when you have those kind of examples. But I think the future shows that we've got to get out of the office. We've got to figure out what's what's going on why are we not being as successful as it could be and and looking at trying to predict what's going to happen in the future there's a lot of folks that are very very good at forecasting what are they saying i mean i'll give you a great example july of last year there was an article written that said there's going to be a shortage in the in the near future of computer chips mm-hmm. nobody read it no, because obviously we're living it right now. If somebody had read that last July and said, oh, this is an opportunity to expand our operations right now. Let's ramp up production. Maybe we wouldn't be in the, the shortfall of electronics and automobiles we are right now. Joe, that's all the time we've got. I want to thank you for taking part of Transform TV. I want to thank you for being here and for giving us some insight into the kind of leadership styles that were, have been successful for you and what we should be looking for in leaders today. Um, thanks so much for being here. We'll probably see you again, no doubt. Great. Excellent. Enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much. And for those of you watching at home, see you at the next time.